0: This is episode number 487 with Susan Walsh, founder and managing director of The Classification Guru. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best selling author on deep learning. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by the classification guru herself, the fixer of dirty data, the one and the only Susan Walsh. She's a ton of fun. We have a lot of laughs in this episode. Susan has worked for a decade as a data quality specialist for a wide range of firms across the private and public sectors. For the past four years, she's been doing this work as the founder and managing director of her own company called The Classification Guru. She's also the author of the forthcoming and cleverly titled book Between the Spreadsheets, and she hosts her own video interview show called Live from the Data Den. The topics covered in this episode center around Susan's expertise in cleaning, normalizing, and classifying data, with a special focus on procurement data and company-wide cost savings. Today's episode is appropriate for a wide range of listeners from technical specialists like data scientists, right through to commercial specialists like business managers. The content is targeted at anyone interested in cleaning up their data or saving their business money. All right, you ready for another awesome episode? Let's go. Susan, in the United Kingdom, welcome to the Super Data Science Program. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've known about you for so long, and now we're here in your data den. Welcome.
1: Yay, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a privilege, such a pleasure.
0: So where in the world is your data den, this beautiful sparkly room?
1: Well, if there's anyone in the UK, it might sound like I'm from Scotland, <laughs> but I'm actually living about 30 miles south of London in Surrey in Guildford. Ah, That's where yeah. I am. Uh,
0: so when I did hear that plane earlier, was that a Heathrow
1: plane? It probably was. I'm, ah. I'm halfway between Heathrow and Gatwick. so oh, But go. it tends to be the Heathrow ones, I think. Yeah. Hmm.
0: There you go. Well, we might have uh, that memorable noise come through as well surrey is a beautiful part of the world and i know you've had really nice weather in england lately
1: well it was nice for (laughs) a good week and a half and then we had a we've had a week of rain it's a bit sunny now but then we're looking at another week of rain so it's it's typical british weather it's
0: yeah, I guess it,
1: a bit pants. It was as they'd say.
0: two weeks ago that I recorded with someone else in the UK, and I guess at that point you may you might have just had that week and a half.
1: Oh, it was amazing! <laughs> it was absolutely amazing.
0: And Surrey is particularly nice. You have just so much beautiful green space down there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it it is obviously beautiful, but having come from Scotland, where we have mountains and big, crazy things, it's you know, right. That's also really beautiful
0: but surely not pants
1: (laughs) not pants
0: (laughs) uh very good
1: you probably get that
0: yeah i get that i don't know if all listeners get that it just means kind of crummy yeah um and pants also it means underpants in the uk so i guess that's kind of where it comes from kind of poopy yeah poopy underpants i guess
1: yeah definitely and And (laughs) Yeah, I've I've had to that is something that I've had to be aware of when I've been creating content actually.
0: Oh, yeah, of course.
1: Because I have said things that either people haven't gotten or I've said things to people and it's been slightly offensive <laughs> and I didn't realize. <laughs>
0: um yeah, there are some curse words that in the UK they're relatively light curses, but if you say them in the US, I can't say them on air obviously. But if you see them oh, really? in the video oh, yeah, oh, well, we can talk okay. about them after the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, you no, know, this wasn't even a swear word. I just said someone was husky, oh, as in they were sounding husky.
0: Oh.
1: But they were like, "Oh, that means you're a big person, right?" And it's like awkward.
0: That's what. That's uh, when the kids would tease me about my weight when I was a little kid. My mom would say, "Don't worry, you're just husky."
1: oh yeah well chubby chubby is the word we'd probably use yeah uh
0: well anyway it's
1: amazing how these words translate differently into different places yeah
0: they evolve so uh susan you are the fixer of dirty data i am you are renowned for that i came across you because you spoke at the Data Science Go conference in April, which is run by an affiliate of the Super Data Science podcast. And uh, so I, I reached out to them. I said, have you had any uh, great speakers at Data Science Go recently that you'd like to have on? And you were on there very short, um, short And
1: everybody else was busy, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> and then here I am. <laughs> yep,
0: well, we make do with what we can get. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all
1: court. Yeah,
0: extremely highly recommended. And I'd actually known about you for a long time. You know, I think we we have a lot of the same connections on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, you
0: host, for example, in your data den that you're in right now. If people are watching the YouTube version of this, they can see that. Um, in that data den, you host a uh, a recurring show called Live from the Data Den. And so, for example, in May, you had a Women in Data special. And that included uh, some folks, Kate Strashny, whom I've known for years. She was on episode 441 of the Super Data Science Podcast. I think that was one of several episodes that she's been on, but that was one with me as host. Uh,
1: She's a force of nature, that woman.
0: She is. um, Christina Stathopoulos was also in that episode. And I haven't met her in person yet, but we've been connected. uh, And she's going to be on a forthcoming episode of Super Data Science She's just, Brilliant. yeah, so we move in similar kinds of circles. And so when your name showed up uh, on this very short list from Data Science Go, I immediately reached out to you to see if you would be interested in coming on the program, and you were. And this is I was
1: like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um,
0: and so at Data Science Go, you did a workshop on data organization. So I guess that was about your coat system your patented
1: yeah coat system yeah. Well, it's not quite patented but uh, make sure your data has its coat on so like a jacket you know imagine imagine it ha- that having it on and and actually that is where one of the the lost in translation um situations happened cuz having lived in the UK you probably know about get your coat you've pulled
0: oh i know i don't even know no
1: okay so so basically If you were at a pub or a bar and a man came up to you to try and chat you up (laughs) and he would say, oh, get your coat you've pulled as in you're coming home with me. So did a great blog all around that thinking I was really smart and then had to put like an explainer at the bottom (laughs) because only people in the UK knew what it meant. Even
0: that verb pulled, that doesn't, uh, that didn't come over the ocean. Uh,
1: oh, wait, oh sure. uh, we'd be out on the pool.
0: Yeah, when we were young, be out on the pool, right? Like, B-L- yeah, and th- uh,
1: yeah. So out, out, on
0: the hunt for yeah, for like a boy or a girl or whoever, yeah, yeah. whatever you're looking for. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was a term that I learned in the UK, and I think it's a it's a hugely versatile term because, um, you know, it doesn't get into any detail of what ha- <laughs> what's happening, but you just kind of. It's, uh, yeah, you pulled. You, you went out to the bar to try to pull. You, you
1: literally pulled someone, yeah, yeah. You
0: succeeded, you pulled. Uh, anyway, okay. so I wasn't aware of this other part of it, though, where uh, get your coat you pulled. Um, but,
1: yeah. I mean, it's charming men over here in the UK. They really are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no whining and dining. Just come on, get your coat. You're coming with me. <laughs> uh,
0: well, so it inspired this, uh, this data coat, uh, so, yes. what are the what are the four letters in code stand for?
1: So, you when your data has its coat on, it's consistent. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got different, uh, not different, but consistent terminology, same units of measure across the globe. So you know we quite often see the UK versus US liters uh, problems, or even dates. You know, what date format are you going with? Yep. Then it has to be organized. So I I think that's a wardrobe behind you. Um, I'm hoping that it's a nice (laughs) organized wardrobe, but it might be a messy wardrobe and there (laughs) might just be a few things thrown in there and you know it's in there.
0: No one will ever know.
1: know. No what? Like Monica's closet from Friends. Um, I just just painted that on
0: the wall. No, that that is a closet. That is a clothes closet. And uh, it is pretty organized because, through COVID, might I'll my,
1: never know. <laughs> my, well,
0: I guess I could go back there and open it up. It'd be a bit weird on the show. Could, maybe someday. Someday people will get to see what's in my closet. <laughs> that
1: could be a whole new kind of format for the show. What's in the closet?
0: <laughs> Hope you're enjoying this episode. We've got a quick announcement and then we'll get straight back to it. The fourth iteration of our Data Science Go virtual conference is coming up quickly at the end of July. This time it's for three days, running from July 23rd until the 25th. You can get your free tickets today at datasciencego.com slash virtual. This iteration of Data Science Go has an extra special agenda. We've got a standalone career day on Friday the 23rd, where you can meet hiring companies and discover exciting job opportunities. On Saturday the 24th, You will hear from world-class speakers like Ben Taylor from DataRobot and episode number 433, Jamie Fan from TikTok, Erica Green from Etsy and episode number 435, and you'll also be hearing from me. I will be providing a session on the pros and cons of PyTorch and TensorFlow, the two most popular deep learning libraries, with a conclusion that may surprise you, as well as lots of time for audience questions. Finally, on Sunday the 25th, you can attend a full-day boot camp taught by seasoned instructors like Andrew Jones, who's also in episode number 483, Harpreet Sahota, who's also in episode number 457, and Joe Rice. These bootcamp certifications are included in the premium ticket, which is available now for a limited time at $49. On top of all that, over the course of the conference, there will be several networking sessions in which you'll have the opportunity to connect one-on-one with data scientists from all over the world. You can get free tickets for days one and two or the full three-day premium experience for $49 at datasciencego.com slash virtual. And I'll see you there. All right, let's get back to the episode. Um, but uh, yeah, so organized, <laughs> organized.
1: Yeah. So yeah, if, if you throw some things in your closet, you know they're in there, but they're going to be hard to find the next time you need them. But if you organize everything by style of clothing, by color, then you can just go in the next time and take out what you want. So data is very much like that. You know, you can organize things by country, by division, by region, by anything you want. But you have to categorize it first to make, to make it easily found. Nice. And then, of course, it has to be accurate. Mm-hmm. There's no point in using the data if it's not accurate. Um, and that will, depending on where you work and what you're doing, that will be a different uh, definition for different people or different tasks. But once you have all those three things, you then have trustworthy data. Mm. So you can start to make decisions on that data. You can grow your business, uh, change your marketing plans, increase manufacturing of, of a specific product or or Discontinue another one. Data gives you all that when it has its coat on. But I think the biggest problem that I see is people will get me in to put that coat on and then then I leave and nobody helps keep that coat on. You know, data maintenance Mm -hmm. is really important as well.
0: Ah, really good point. So to review, C consistent, O, organized, A accurate, T trustworthy. The data code. Um, it is. Yeah. So what you're saying is you often get pulled into an engagement, but like it. it doesn't have long-term staying power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if,
1: well, yeah, um, but actually I'm more of a fly-by-night kind of um, service and, and I purposely... Yeah set myself up as that because as an organization, this is going really sideways, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, organizations should be responsible for their own data. They should know it and own it and manage it. You know, it's, it's fine to get me in, to fix it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to use third parties if you don't have the resources. But if you can, you should really be looking after your own data And I can help people, train people up to to manage that, but it really is better for them to do it. And there's, you know, it's, your data is such a precious asset to just give it away to a third party. You know, you have to really trust them and make sure they're doing the right thing by you.
0: I agree 100%. You pretty much need to have those data experts in-house these days. um, If you're going to invest in data and automation, um
1: and it is an investment it's not a cost it's an investment.
0: Yeah, good point. Um so all right so that gives us a good overview of the kinds of specialization that you have um but let's talk about um the classification guru which is the name of your company. It and that it, so through your company you are able to put quotes on various people's datas. <laughs>
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: There's a double plural on data there. Um, So what kinds of, other than the coat um, concept, what kinds of tools, techniques, approaches do you end up applying or using um, as a part of your practice? Um, I guess if you have interesting case studies, we could dig into those.
1: Yeah. Uh Well, first of all, I, I, I tend to work a lot in the procurement data space. So, That's that's where everything started. That's where the the guru was born. Yeah. And they have some messy, messy data.
0: And so just in case people don't know, that means it's the procurement department of a company is charged with figuring out what to buy and to try to...
1: Everything that's bought for the company to function as a company. So your HR services... Your oh, employee even benefits,
0: HR, right? I kind of figured that yeah. it is Your good. Your
1: facilities, so. yeah, cleaning, uh, cleaning products, um, rent, utilities, all the IT um, professional services, so legal services, um, accounting services, um, all the travel that all those employees do.
0: Right.
1: I tell you, if you get hold of company credit card spend, it tells you so much. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people put things on credit cards claiming it's travel and it's it's not really travel it's just they've just been having a nice time while they've been away on business right so yeah i can um go in and i will take all that messy information um the number of different ways you can name a flight is quite extraordinary because you've got air you've got flight you've got misspellings Mm -hmm. You've got all kinds of things. You might have the airline name instead. So you have to go through, and I will categorize that into buckets. So level one might be travel. Level two would be air. Um, or level one could be travel. Level two could be road. And then level three could be taxi, bus, something like that.
0: Ah, so each of these categories in these levels can be classified by your classification ness.
1: Exactly. And and the difference um, with myself and my team is we're 100% non-automated. We are AI, machine learning, algorithm free. And the reason that we are is because I have been doing this for a decade now. And I can, me and my team can take the data, normalize it, classify it fully 100%. And get it back to the client in the same time that they would probably go to a third party who's who says they're using AI, machine learning, etc. But
0: so you you don't you say you don't use AI or machine learning, but to get that uh, classification, how do you how do you get the
1: classification? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have tools, obviously. <laughs> um, so I use some software called Omniscope, um, which is really unique in that it's data modeling, ETL, and visualization all in the one tool. So I guess, you know, it's like it would be like an Alteryx and Tableau together in one one software. But the difference between having the Alteryx and the Tableau and Omniscope is in Omniscope I can have my visualizations at the top and I can have the raw data table at the bottom and live edit the data so that it changes the the visualizations at the top. So it saves An immense amount of time. I've developed a methodology over the years to classify and normalize efficiently. So it's super geeky now, but yeah, I love it. Nice.
0: And there, but there are data models in the Omniscope tool. Some people might say that's AI. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I mean, I call it semi-automation because we're making sure it's right before it's semi-automated, and I am absolutely not against. automation in any way. However, it's so important to get the base data, the training set as like 100% correct or as close as you can. Because so many people just buy some new software, put what they've got in there already, and then it just multiplies the disaster.
0: I think I, I I might even dare to reframe what you're saying quite a bit to say that you do use modeling techniques, but you're using them very wisely. Uh, so you're not yeah. using them uh, without deeply getting involved in the data and making sure that um, that any of these semi-automated automated processes, as you say, are effectively doing the job that you think they're doing. And so, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Especially when normalizing. So we will remove all the suffixes. So the illimited, the inks, the PLCs, the LLCs you can't just do a search and replace or, or write some code and just re- remove the ink because some of them are legitimately there or in the middle of a word. And so we've developed ways to work around that. Um, and also, when you actually work with the data, you start to see patterns. I can tell where people might need training in certain areas because it's being classified wrong or entered wrong or where there's missing information mm-hmm. The data can really speak to you. And I think there's such a reliance now on let's just run some code or some automation over it. We don't need to worry about it. But actually, you can find out so much from that data if you spend some time with it. Yep.
0: You are... Take it out
1: to dinner. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are preaching to the choir. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Sometimes I meet people who are either early on in their data science careers or aren't in data science at all, and they'll say things like, well, but AutoML, isn't AutoML gonna get rid of these data science jobs? No, because of exactly the kind of situation that you're describing. If if you spend the time to understand your data well, you're going to have night and day uh, improvements in model quality.
1: And- It's not even that, you save so much time in the long run because you're not spending so much time fixing things and figuring out where it's gone wrong. Yeah. It's a smart option.
0: So fixing those dirty data. Um, So, all right. Uh, So now I have some sense of kind of how your business operates. Uh, Do you have a couple of interesting case studies for
1: us? Yes. So I normalize a lot of suppliers for my clients. Last year, there was 43,000 suppliers, I think. Got it down to about 34,000 suppliers.
0: Cause missed, That's
1: a lot cause of...
0: Misnamed
1: near, areas. Yeah, areas. IBM, i.b.m. Right. Um, I've seen supplier names even misspelled in data sets. Sometimes you even still see international business machines
0: right. as a supplier. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah. I almost made that joke. <laughs> turns out it's not a joke.
1: No, it's true. So what does, what does that mean for them? Well, suddenly they are spending a lot more money with certain companies than they thought they were. Right. That means they could be, maybe they're spending companies, money with companies they shouldn't be spending it with. Maybe they could be negotiating better deals with the ones that they are working with because they're spending a lot more money maybe they now realize that they've got 50 suppliers for office supplies and stationery, and they only need two, you know, one in a backup or something. Right. So, and you know, and then you combine all those different suppliers together to get the volume of stationary spend. And suddenly it's like hugely different, much bigger. And suddenly you are in a whole different price band mm-hmm. and you can get a much better deal. So, you know, it sounds really easy, but you know, I, I deal with data from all over the world. It's it can be very messy. You know, it took about five days to normalize those forty thousand suppliers. I mean, that sounds
0: really impressive. Five days doesn't sound like a huge amount of time given the complexity of that task. So, you guys obviously have your and, system.
1: and no no fancy no fancy AI, just me.
0: Um. So yeah. So we get we. So they start with this list. They they say, look, if we look at the unique strings in our supplier list, we've got 43,000 of them. But then you come in and through um, through using Omniscope, through investigating the data thoroughly, you, um, you clean information in a way that allows you to see, no, actually you don't have 43,000 suppliers, you have 34,000. And then a next step beyond that is you can add classifications so that there's kind of level one, level two classifications that you were describing um, that allow yeah, you to see... Yeah, also... Yeah.
1: Yeah. But now I have 34,000 suppliers to classify, not 43. So I've saved my own myself time as well. <laughs> right. Because they're normalized, so there's less of them. And it also goes back to quote because you then get more consistency within the suppliers. Because if you had all the IBMs separately, some of them might be under IT, some of them might be under facilities. But if you're only looking at one IBM supplier, you you know it's gonna all be under IT.
0: Yeah, and then it's brilliant. You tied it right to an immediate uh, tangible business benefit, which is that if you all of a sudden realize you're spending way more money with one more supplier, you can renegotiate contracts. Um, or get better volume deals, which the supplier often isn't going to come out and tell you.
1: <laughs> well, it can also help with things like fraud as well, you know, because if you're expecting to spend X amount with a supplier and it's and then you normalize it and suddenly it's double, it raises questions, hang on, what's going on here? Or if you see suppliers in there that, you know, shouldn't be, then, then it, it really helps to flag all those issues.
0: Nice. All right. So that's one really good case study. I don't suppose you have another for us.
1: Oh, I've got a cracker for you. (laughs) So this is, I mean, so the, you know, the normalization story is great. Everyone in procurement and probably most people in data, you know, see, know the value, but to the business, they're like, well, so what, you know, they want to see numbers. They want to see hard figures. So I was building a customized taxonomy for a client I needed their spend data to build that taxonomy while I was going through that I could see a lot of misclassified data so it had already been classified by somebody else mm-hmm. but a lot of it was wrong right so I flagged it all and added up the value at the end and we we're looking at about 31.7 million wow. dollars of pounds. Wow of spend sitting in the wrong area. And that doesn't, you know, in this case it was spend, in another instance that could be sales or marketing or production, you know, how many spare parts are being made. It's huge because, and again, it's because there's probably no maintenance going on. Everyone's focusing on the next refresh, but actually what about the data that's there?
0: Right. Yeah, and then so if
1: what would you do with that thirty-one million?
0: Oh, what would I do? Finally, buy a closet.
1: (laughs) Hide the bodies. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, I mean, uh, I'd be investing it in my company. So, in you know, I tried if I had thirty-one million more dollars to invest in, say, R and D. I mean. That'd be be a really nice thing to be able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a bit misleading there because the 31 million has still been spent. It's just not been spent in the areas that they think it's in. But the savings that they could make from that could be significant. So maybe it might be a million instead. Sorry, you have to deal with that.
0: Which still uh, more than pays for the cost of working with the classification guru. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Many times over. Um, so that's another good use of that word investment when you think about these data quality issues uh, investing in having high quality data can literally save you huge amounts of money like this yeah it seems reasonable to have to be a million quid they have
1: to be engaged yeah they have to be engaged though you know i i have spoken to businesses who know that they have a problem that their data is unreliable and yet the business won't invest in fixing it. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of just have to sit back and wait until the time comes when it's really hit the fan and they need some help. And then it's like, yeah, I'll help you now. Yeah. But it's going to cost you more because you let it get so bad.
0: I think it can maybe to people who are less data-centric managers who see this kind of cost and they say, well, you know, I'm not interested in spending that extra money here. I can't see the value because they, I guess they don't understand the value of that investment and the huge savings that ultimately could be made. Um, so, yeah.
1: Well, that's kind of why I've written my book.
0: Ah, yes. What a nice so segue, that, Susan.
1: I know, isn't that <laughs> Slip that right in there. Uh,
0: so your book is called Between the Spreadsheets. Yes. And I, you know, I'm sure our audience is shocked that we have a cheeky title from, it has been otherwise a very uncheeky episode. Uh, yeah. So, be-
1: very sensible.
0: Between the <laughs> spreadsheets, it's coming out in September. It's being published yeah. by Facet, and yeah. um, it's all about what we've been talking about in the episode so far, which is classifying and fixing dirty data.
1: Yeah. So, the whole reason I wrote the book was because you know we've talked about cleaning data, but But even if you go on a course and do data science, there's no sections on data cleansing. You're just expected to know how to do it. So this book is for people who want to get started, people who are already in data or procurement data and want to learn some more tips on how to be more efficient, or it's for the decision makers who need to understand why they need to invest in their data you know there's great examples in there of what happens when it's wrong and there's even a chapter called data horror stories that people have anonymously shared their stories with me and then i've i've made some commentary around them you know this isn't a, a made up kind of you know oh just yeah you buy my services this is a real problem that isn't really addressed. Everybody knows about it, but nobody really wants to deal with it. So I'm really trying to bring it to the fore. But you know, a lot of the people who pay the bills or invest or pay the data for say data services are not data people, and so we really, I, I think we really have to engage them at a different level. And so something like between the spreadsheets might get them interested.
0: Nice. I love this idea for a book. And as you say, yeah, it's uh, it's an underserviced part of the whole data science industry, given that cleaning data and having high quality data is tantamount, is absolutely essential to have any kinds of data analytics, data models, data visualizations be effective and allow any organization or person to make the right decision. Uh, It's crazy how much more time, if indeed, like you say, maybe in a lot of programs all of the time, gets spent on data modeling approaches when it's data cleaning that is you know even more essential
1: and it's back to knowing that data again knowing where the commas and the full stops should or the dashes and quotes should be or shouldn't be putting everything in uppercase helps massively if you want a tip and you need to check data having it all in uppercase is is the best way to check quickly, because anything that's not the same will stand out quite uh, obviously.
0: Yeah, that's funny. You know, I always put everything into lowercase, but you're right that if I put it in, in uppercase, you would notice things. Yeah, like
1: for some reason, punctuation. Yeah, more. Yeah, yeah or even the change different letters. i I because it's bigger. You can scroll down more. Because yeah, you you lowercase, I mean, it's still effective, but I prefer uppercase.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I just, one of my first steps in creating a data model is putting everything into lowercase uh, when I'm working with natural language data. Uh, But yeah, there's no reason why it couldn't be uppercase. And you're right, that you can spot more things.
1: I'm gonna do a poll. I'm gonna do a poll (laughs) on that now.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see what those results are. Yeah. So you've got, in the book, you've got these data horror stories. Are there any particular horror stories that stand out to you that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Oh, no, you've got to wait for the book. I'm not giving <laughs> you anything away. okay. But what I will tell you is that um, I have built a dirty data maturity model. And every month I've been releasing um, steps of the model. So obviously step one is dirty data. The next one is d class data, I think. If not, I've just given you an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I haven't uh, released any of the others yet. Oh. But there's five parts to the, the model. And so far we've had for Dirty Data uh, uh, just a pile of clothes on the floor. Great. The next phase is those pile of clothes on the floor now in a laundry basket you'll have to wait and see what the next <laughs> phase is. Okay. But only next like July, July, you'll get to know the next part. But
0: All right. Well, yeah, this episode will um, air again, July 13th. So uh, listeners okay. may be able to, by this release date, even go and get that third step.
1: Should be out by then. Again, it's about getting people who are not necessarily data people engaged as well as the data people.
0: Nice. And everybody understands messy wardrobes. <laughs> um, okay, brilliant. So we've got your book coming out in September. Do you have any book recommendations for us other than your own book?
1: Well, obviously, there's only really one book that I would recommend. But if I, you know, had to, if you had to put a gun to my head, <laughs> then obviously I would recommend my good friend uh, Scott Taylor's um, "Telling Your Data Story."
0: Nice. And that book recently made a splash at the time of filming. Uh, So we're filming on June 25th. And just the other day, it was June 22nd. uh, Kate Strashny, whom we already mentioned earlier on in the show, um, who was on your uh, Live from the Data Den program on that Women in Data special. So Kate Straschny and Harpreet Sahota, um, who was also on the Super Data Science podcast, he was on episode... Episode number four fifty-seven.
1: He, he owes me a lip sync. I'm just putting that out. there Oh, to does the world. he?
0: That, that's yeah. something we haven't even talked about yet. So that you, so something that everyone needs to know about Susan is that every Sunday since the pandemic started, I guess,
1: just over a year, it's been going now. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's crazy. Lip sync
0: Sunday is the hashtag that you can check out on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Uh,
0: lip syncs of some hits such as No Scrubs. And Single Ladies. Yep.
1: Yep. I have done Jump Around as well. That's a good one. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And I just before this, I recorded the Sunday's one. So, um, yeah, no spoilers, but it's an older song. (laughs) It's more of a classic.
0: Okay.
1: I've done some Queen before as well and a bit of Elton John. So I've covered in the whole range of songs.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. So you can catch those, uh, you can check those out on LinkedIn or on YouTube. And yeah, I didn't know. So Harpreet owes you a lip sync. Has he?
1: Well, so George ferrikin mm-hmm. uh, from Lights on Data, he challenged me to lip sync battle. So I was, res- he, I can't remember which song he did, but I responded with Rihanna and hard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then I challenged Harpreet and then it's just gone, gone quiet. i like, <laughs> No. Okay.
0: Well, no. Harpreet, if I'm you're listening, let forget. Uh, it's overdue. We're waiting for your lip sync, Harpreet. So yeah. Kate Strashney and Harpreet, uh, they co-hosted the Data Community Content Creator Awards, which was a brilliant program, so much fun, as you'd expect from them. And...
1: Yeah, and Scott obviously graciously accepted his award. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend you go and check that out.
0: Um, it's Yeah, so he's he goes by the Data Whisperer, but if I understand correctly, his award acceptance was anything There's but no whispering. whispering.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's never any whispering.
0: Um, so Scott Taylor's book, um, it it won in the Data Community Content Creator Awards this year for best popular book. Um, so the fan favorite. So yeah, so it sounds like a great recommendation, Susan. Um, so if people are looking for more great content from you, so if they want to get uh, the next steps in the dirty data maturity model, if they want more lip sync content, how should they follow you?
1: So there's a number of ways. Um, Where I'm most active is LinkedIn. Um, And actually, I haven't even mentioned that I have a number of animations as well. So I have loads of videos around quotes explaining that. I have, there's one where I turn into the Hulk. So (laughs) because I see dirty dirty data and get angry. Um, I have uh, superpowers and my sidekick is Scott Taylor in another one. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm now become Susan the tailor as well. So I, you know, cause I'm like a tailor. I, I, you know, build custom fit data for your organization. Um, and there's one on tail spend as well. So yeah, I've been pretty busy.
0: And so all of that, that you just mentioned would be on YouTube, right? Uh,
1: that's all on the classification YouTube channel, yeah. all on various posts on LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, i am um, on twitter and instagram but you know you're going to get the best content on linkedin nice
0: so we'll be sure to provide your linkedin details in the show notes as well as the link to your classification guru youtube channel those sounds like those sound like the ones for people to be checking out all right susan well it's been so much fun hanging out with you today uh oh, yeah it's been brilliant a episode. thank you so much for joining yeah. us
1: brilliant thank you
0: I told you that was a fun episode, didn't I? In it, Susan led coverage of her COAT system for high quality data, COAT being an acronym for consistent, organized, accurate, and trustworthy. She talked about what procurement is and how having clean procurement data can save businesses money and enable better decision-making. And she also talked about the OmniScope tool for cleaning, classifying, and visualizing data all in one place. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and the URL for Susan's LinkedIn and YouTube profiles, as well as my own social media profiles at superdatascience.com slash 487. That's superdatascience.com slash 487. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd of course greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on the Super Data Science YouTube channel, where we have a video version of this episode. To let me know your thoughts on the episode, please do feel welcome to add me on LinkedIn or Twitter, and then tag me in a post to let me know your thoughts on this episode. Your feedback is invaluable for figuring out what topics we should cover next. I'd like to give special mention to those of you listeners who nominated my work for a Data Community Content Creator Award. Thanks to you, at the award ceremony on June 22nd, my YouTube channel was recognized as the favorite for learning about machine learning and artificial intelligence. In addition, my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, was one of the three finalists in the technical book category. Apparently, the races were extremely close, especially in the YouTube category that I won. So your individual vote may have made the difference and tipped the scales in my favor. Thank you so much. All right, thanks are as well, of course, due to Ivana, Jaime, Mario, and JP on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another amazing episode today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.